Welcome everyone, my name is Sausan Kadura and you are listening to Digital Sites. Augmented reality or AR is the addition of virtual elements into the real world. Most of us are familiar with AR technology. For example, Instagram stories are a good example or a very familiar example for many. When people add gimmicks and effects on their faces while talking, for example, adding flower crowns or animal noses on their faces, this is AR technology. It's adding virtual elements into the real world and in this case, the person's face. But beyond these commercial gimmicks, AR has a great creative potential for artists of all kinds. I've seen it used by painters, graffiti artists, print artists, poets, and even publishers like, for example, Montreal-based Antiism, where they add AR technology in their published artist books. But the potential of AR comes with its technical challenges, which is making most artists still may be hesitant to explore the medium. Despite that, the potential still remains. So to talk more about AR, I recently met Louis Rastelli at an anti-ism finissage event in Montreal to talk more about the challenges and potential of this technology for artists. Louis is the co-founder of Archive Montreal, the organization behind the Distributo uh, project. Distributo recently started selling augmented prints in their art vending machines. And augmented prints are basically a series of print art that includes AR technology in them. These pieces were created during a series of AR-focused workshops that Archive Montreal organized recently with several Montreal and Quebec-based artists. So here's my interview with Louis Vastelli. I'm here at the Antiism Books uh, venue, and uh, this is the finissage of an exhibit that has been going on for the last two months called Latent Sea. And I'm actually here to meet Luis Rastelli, who is the co-founder of Archive Montreal. And I'm here talking uh, to him because I want to talk about specific one of the specific initiatives that Archive Montreal does, which is called Distroboto. I'm sure many Montrealers know about this um, this initiative, and we're talking about it more in par- particularly because they recently decided to include augmented reality to that project. So if you don't know what I'm talking about, this is what we're going to talk about with Louis today. So first of all, thank you, Louis, for joining me today. So I guess let's start from the beginning. If you can talk about what is Archive uh, Montreal, which is the organization behind Distributo. If you can talk about it, what is its mandate and how it started and all that. Sure. Well, it's been almost exactly 20 years. In fact, we're celebrating our 20th anniversary. So late 90s, there was a bit of a need in Montreal. I was part of a bunch of different artists and writers who uh, were... um, very active in self-publishing, putting out zines or our own books, uh, artworks, art prints. And uh, there was a real lack of, of uh, venues. Uh, there wasn't any artist-run galleries much. Uh, I don't know. It was a different, much different time from today, let's just say. It was, uh, there was a, a real need for things. And so we realized that if we wanted to do things like a book fair or we, we had ideas to do uh, art vending machines because some friends of ours started opening cafes like Casa del Popolo had just opened up, we uh, realized that if we incorporated a nonprofit organization, we might be able to get some funding and, and do projects that would be of a benefit to all, all of us. So there was about eight of us uh, that uh, decided to, to form the organization in the uh, late 90s. While we were at it, we said, well, all of the material that passes through these kinds of projects and this, this part of our art scene 
is very ephemeral. It's 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 very obscure, and uh, a lot of it just disappears. So we're like we should also archive this material, and so that's where the name Archive Montreal came up. The idea was to promote and preserve at the same time. So we built up an archive of a very uh, large archive of our, of works uh, related to the type of uh, people who pass through our projects and. Uh, the first project that we finally, um, after a, a couple of years of working on developing uh, the projects we wanted to do, uh, we finally launched at the very beginning of 2001 uh, the Distrobodo art vending machines. That's the first real promotional idea that we uh, came up with. And uh, sure enough, uh, that's where, uh, you know, as a vending machine that sells art, right from the beginning, we knew that it would be a place for experimentation, a place for artists who don't normally do miniature works or, or small things to, to play around. And so that's kind of where uh, our niche is, is very much in, in people who are trying to push the limits of, of uh, writing, of visual arts, of printed art, of, uh, of whatever, uncategorizable uh, stuff. And uh, the uh, vending machines actually turned into, we, we didn't expect there would be that much of a catalyst, uh, but people really like trying to come up with different and weird things uh, when they come up with stuff for the, uh, for the vending machines. Can you talk more about the beginning and the challenges? Because I read on your website, it was a process so you, to choose the vending machines. You know, not all of them worked well. Uh, to how did you choose the art and the size and all that? Can you maybe walk us through this uh, this process? Yeah, it was very interesting because we were uh, when we put out the word that we had we, uh, we had discovered a bunch of people had mentioned to us, "Hey, I saw an art vending machine when I was vi visiting Europe, or there was one in Amsterdam, and um, I had seen one myself in in the in the U.S." There it was in 1998, uh, somebody started the Artomat machines. And so we knew that, that it existed, that people were selling art through machines. But in Canada and in Montreal, we, we literally have our own types of vending machines. The cigarette packages are much bigger here than they are in, in uh, Europe and in the U.S. You know, there's about five or six of us that, that spent a few months deciding and looking, you know, going to vending machine uh, stores over by the highway, industrial park, a very weird process to, to find out what, what the world of vending machines is about. We decided on a, a classic standard cigarette machine, partly because we also discovered that cassettes would come out perfectly. It was as if it was a cassette vending machine. It turns out that cassettes are the exact width of a of a pack of cigarettes. All these things made us decide, well, let's let's see if we can get one of those machines. Uh, but the other reason is that, let's not forget, in 2000, uh, 1999, 2000, there was still smoking in bars and restaurants. And so we saw these machines in bars and restaurants. So when we, we talked to the, the cafe that asked us, we'd love to have this, you know, uh, vending machine if you come up with it. They, they wanted something like a cigarette machine because they were already designed to look good in a bar. So um, we actually had to buy one from a cigarette machine operator. And since it was still legal to sell cigarettes, it was not cheap. You, you buy a machine that, that's made to make money for you, it costs a lot. So once we did that, we actually spent an entire, I think a good five or six months having meetings in my living room around this big cigarette machine. All these artists, there's about 12 artists, we're really excited with this idea, we're going to have a machine to sell our stuff in. You know, very interesting artists too, some of them have become quite uh, well known, like uh, Chloe Lum and Yannick Diranlo, they were just starting to explore printing. There was Keith Jones, uh, a few other folks. So. We had to decide on the packaging, are we going to use old cigarette packs? We had to physically experiment to see what doesn't jam the machine, figure out how it works. And then in the end, uh, it was easier than we thought as far as setting the rules. We told people to think inside the box. There was a specific maximum size box that you could not go past. And that was pretty much the only rule. 
and we also decided to meet regularly to to look at what people were proposing. We told people to send in a sample, and then you know, for the most part, we had very little uh, trouble uh, in, in getting interesting material because pe people really see what it is, see it for what it is, and they see what the opportunity is, and and they usually propose very interesting stuff. And it's pretty much has not changed much since then, uh, in that sense. So the launch of this project was at La Sala Rossa. It was already, it was just new, La Sala Rossa as a venue, it was already... It was, it was supposed to op be launched at the same time that Casa del Popolo opened, but we launched it about four months after the official uh, opening of Casa del Popolo. Oh, it was Casa del Popolo yeah. for, uh, first. And, and the, second machine, the second machine was at Sala Rosa one year later, because it, it went so well that right away we realized, uh, and, and all the bars started asking us for these machines. So. That's the thing, I also read that it was really a success, and even New York Times wrote, wrote about it. Yeah, uh, like I say, when we started the organization, like the, the late 90s were really sad, the, the bars were closing, uh, the city was going through a rough time. And so we, we really felt there was a need and, you know, all we had to do was start something and there was so much talent, so many artists. It's, we, we just had a hunch, but we, uh, it was beyond what we would have expected. All the projects that we started were just instantly filled with people wanting to take part. And uh, I guess that's the thing, you know, we, uh, it turns out we were right. There really was a need for, for ways to, uh, to get out and get known. And, uh. and it's, so today now, uh, I don't know if that, that was the price at the beginning, but today, uh, today it's only $2 for you to get, you know, a piece of art. And uh, how many machines are around the city? You told me before the interview that there's a, a problem right now because there's venues and cafes closing. And you mentioned that was the reason why you guys started an initiative like this. But now, two decades later almost, you have the same maybe problem. Is there parallels? Um, it's more a question of uh, 20 years later, you end up having survived a couple of different gentrification waves. And what, what happened is... We've seen a cycle every six or seven years. Some of the cafes and the bars and the areas our machines are in, it starts to change. So I remember seven or eight years after the beginning of the project, it was time to leave the Mile End. We, we, we first had a machine on the Saint-Hubert and the Beaubien around 2008 because it's, it seemed like since 2001, the Plateau, Mile End, uh, it, it wasn't growing and it wasn't uh, anything uh, new. So we had to, to go beyond. What happened though in around 2016, 2017, it was the death of the Plateau Mile End. That's where the, the, the project was born and the, the golden age of where it was cheap rents and full of artists. Uh, we sort of ended up being part of the last chapter. Uh, Casa del Popolo is still there, but they only open in the evening now. They don't open during the day when we had our most, the most sales. Uh, a lot of other places just closed, the Divan Orange, uh, there was a ca Café Kajibi. Basically, we were just part of the up and down cycle of gentrification. And, and what's happening now is the future of the project is we're there, more and more machines are going to start popping up uh, the north, you know, around Jean just like we already have nearby uh, a couple of the Distrobolo machines. Uh, but in the meantime, it's also an occasion for us to reinvent the project. And for a couple of years, we've been excited to try to integrate uh, workshops and group collective projects uh, using the Distrobolo as an end result or a platform. So that's kind of where uh, it's not a problem for us to have a, a ups and downs of that project. It's a an occasion for us to redesign it and we might also raise the price finally after all these years because there's a bit of a demand from the artists to have a couple of options uh, and the new machines that we've been using too makes it a bit easier for us to have a couple of price uh, a, pr a couple of options for price so so I want to move on to talk about a new sort of change or a new uh, development in this project, which is the, in the inclusion of uh, augmented reality. 
like you said, like Distributo is a good platform for people to sell a lot of their art that includes printed art. And then now for the last few years, you guys are researched the idea of uh, including augmented reality. And so can you maybe start from the beginning? When when did you think that that's a good venue to start experimenting with? I, I saw on your website, like you guys start maybe thinking about it in 2015. So. Can you, can you maybe talk about that? Sure, well actually it, it's part of it goes back to the beginning. In 2001, uh, the very beginning of 2001 when we started the project, it was the, the, the first internet boom and then the bubble burst. So, But people still were very, very uh, uh, convinced that everything was going to go digital very quickly. So even at the beginning we thought, well, we're going to have to figure out how to stick a hard drive in there and also be able to sell, disseminate digital art at the same time. Uh, the years went by and we always looked at that idea, but it's just... Things move so fast, and and, um, it, and and the project went super well. Just people really liked using it to, to buy CDs, and you know we're selling a lot of CDs, and cassettes, and other things. But the idea was still always there. You know, we should sell, also sell something digital. But just as we were really thinking of, of of putting in some hard drives and start to sell digital art, the streaming revolution came about around somewhere between 2010 and, and uh, 2015. Uh, streaming took over and, and, and people just stopped uh, walking around with an iPod. The idea is that we would be able to sell short films, songs, albums, and you would pay for a download, you know, but that pay for downloads uh, trend, now we can call it a trend because it only lasted X number of years. So we, we didn't feel, we were never in too much of a rush to, to go 100% into these ideas because they kept evolving so fast. But AR is, is one that uh, the key to that is that you need the physical item, you need a print, a, a book, at least the type of AR that we like to use. It is triggered by the phone or the device recognizing the image. And so we're like, well, it's a distributor machine. People are always making little books, little prints. Let's play around with adding this, this layer. And it doesn't mean we have to go and invest in changing all the machines and the electronics. We're like, we can actually have this digital aspect without uh, going all crazy with, uh, you know, with a big investment. So we were very lucky with having our other project, Exposine, since 2002, uh, an annual gathering of, of small press and publishers, uh, zine makers, art zines. Uh, we got to know Antiism uh, through that. They've been putting out books about artists, especially avant-garde artists and, and uh, multimedia artists um, uh, for about 12 years now. Um, they always had the challenge of how do you put a, uh, you know, a new avant-garde artist in a book? How, do you, how are you going to describe what uh, the art looks like in person uh, in, in a book for these instances? So they seized onto AR very early on as, as a way to add content to an art book, so books about art. Uh, for example, uh, an installation art where there's uh, moving elements, they discovered that, hey, we can now show a picture of that, that installation, and if people have the application, they hold up their phone or their device and actually see what the installation looks like in real life. Uh, we uh, were very impressed when we, heard about, uh, when we heard that they were doing this, and we right away we thought, hey, we can also make art that includes AR, uh, you know, not just documenting art using AR, but let's make prints and books where the AR is, is part of the creation, there is a new horizon. So it took a little while, we applied for a couple of grants together and, and luckily around 2017 uh, we managed to get funding to do a proper exploration of AR uh, print, AR and printed art uh, for Distrobolo and, and so that's where uh, uh, we finally started being able to, to, to work on that seriously. Before I ask you a little bit, how did you get to the final now result where you are, guys are actually selling in Distributo, you're selling printed art that actually include uh, 
augmented reality. But maybe for our listeners who are not maybe still familiar, what is AR? Can you explain a little bit what is AR? Sure. Well, um, uh, I guess the, the, the example everybody knows is Pokemon Go, the craze from a few years ago where basically augmented reality means the reality is right there, but if you hold up a phone or a tablet in front of it with the proper application, it superimposes onto the camera, uh, basically, uh, other stuff. It could be a, a costume or a different filter or uh, moving objects where in the middle of a field, just like the Pokemon Go game, they have people chasing things all over the place and you know uh, looking it looks like they're there when you're looking at them through your phone so that's that's the most uh, common type of AR that type of AR requires your phone to be hooked up to GPS and and relays information about the AR to you based on where you are that's how the Pokemon Go game goes for an AR book or artwork like what we're talking about uh, in this show just imagine the, the the print in front of you or in a frame on the wall and when you have the right application on your phone it looks like you've got your camera on, but you hold your phone up in front of the work and the uh, material the artist wanted to be superimposed onto the print suddenly appears. So it could end up looking like the uh, characters or, or objects, or forms that are on the painting or on the print suddenly move. And usually it's not for forever, it's not gonna have a whole movie. It's uh, some sort of a loop, it's usually a 10 to, 10 to 30 second loop of, of uh, a video or content that, that happens. But you could also have audio, and you could also have just audio. So I've seen some works where poets have, have, have uh, added uh, short poems to, uh, to a series of images, for example. So that's, that's AR. It's, it's superimposed onto a, a real thing. Yeah, so it's adding a, a, a virtual element to the real world, and you can see that virtual element through the screen. But so you said some of it is based on GPS, so that's Pokemon Go, the type of example. And the other one, which artists are using, and that's what in Distributo you are using in the art that is sold in Distributo, uh, you need an app for that. Yeah, that's where the the, the problems. Are. The reason why we we wanted to to start doing this in 2015 and it's here we are in 2019 and that we've only done a little bit of AR work is that the apps uh, with the many different apps have come and gone in the last five years and sometimes for reasons for a few different reasons but really briefly I should cut to the chase and say the marketing marketing industry is all over AR they love it they, they think that's the future and they really want everybody to use GPS GPS-based AR so that they can know where we are, where we're seeing, what we're seeing while we're there. They, they want stores to have pop-up AR displays all over the place. So there's a bit of a, a, of a battle going on there. They don't really like the what we call target-based when it's just a physical object that tr triggers the AR content. Um, that doesn't provide all that data and the user and the customer information that the, the, the big internet companies want, right? So that's one problem. However, there's a, another problem, which is that um, some people have come up with proper, uh, honest apps for artists and writers to try to use for AR, but they tend to get taken advantage of by marketers and, and, and advertising companies who discover, hey, you can get a free account and just say you're an artist, and then um, basically they make them crash by having too much content that is, you know, uh, basically in a, sort of an abusive type thing. So it's pretty, uh, it's pretty difficult. We've managed to find an app that's been stable for at least a year and a half now, based out of Switzerland, that is, is trying to make sure that they are uh, not having marketers and, and these kinds of people, commercial applications, use them. They're trying to limit it to museums and... Uh, uh, to artists, because that's really, the, you know, aside from marketing, the, the, the potential is for AR that's very interesting is also museums, because for museums you can imagine the 
being able to, to have a, all this extra information about an artwork come up magically is, is very interesting for them too. So we found this application in uh, Switzerland and we're crossing our fingers that they also don't crash or get taken down. Uh, you know, they also need to pay the bills and have the server space and, and all of that. So who knows if they'll be uh, still around for a long time to come, but uh, we're happy that at least for the, the past year and a half they've been stable and we've been using that one called Artivive. We were talking about this a little bit before the interview, that the artists depend very much on the app. And so that was one of the challenges because they depend on the app and if the app is not developed anymore, then that's it. The art piece that the artist did is no yeah. longer consumable. Yeah, it just stops working. Um, it's not such a problem. That's why I'm happy to, to, to encourage artists to make a zine or an art print that has AR, because even if the AR stops working, well, it's still a nice print. It's, you know, uh, at least you didn't waste your time. But what you say is right. That's why there's been a few waves of excitement about AR art that then disappear. You get all these artists that didn't realize, hey, now it's gone. What the hell? And some of them don't go back to this, to developing AR work. There's still, even after five or six years, no standard, and there won't be as long as the big companies try to push for some sort of a, you know, marketing-based standard. Um, but we, we hope to try to get past that. We, we, we hope to work with Antiism actually in the next year to get funding for um, some sort of experimental platform. It's, it's not perfect because the, the perfect ideal would be that everybody has a, a non-commercial AR app on their phone or their device that they could use to see anything that has AR. You know, then artists would be able to, you know, have AR graffiti, AR everywhere. But as it stands right now, you still need to inform the, the consumer, the, 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 the person who's looking at the art, this is the one you need to go download, please. And you know, so it's, that's what's really limiting it. Uh, even after all these years, it's a shame. So you think we're living in a super fast moving, high tech age where everything's moving at thousand miles an hour, but for all these dumb reasons, and lack of standards and commercial conflict. Uh, uh, all these years are going by, but on the upside, it means here we are in this space. There's still time to be at the forefront of AR innovation. It's moving slowly, so there's, there's a lot of time to stay. You know, we're not we're not being um, taken over by anyone else. Montreal can still be a really hot spot for for the for this. So, uh, like we started discussion, uh, this idea started in 2015, and you guys started really kind of thinking about it, experimenting with the idea. And I saw on your website that you, for a couple of years, maybe 2017, 18, you guys experimented maybe with it during different workshops, and you got uh, feedbacks from the artists. Can you talk about this stage of the process and what did the artists, what, what kind of feedbacks did you get? It was very interesting, um, both as how to develop a workshop of this type. You still don't know, it's not the kind of workshop where you, you start by saying, here is how it works, here is what we want you to do, go and practice. You're all in it together, okay, well, maybe we, this is possible, maybe that is possible, maybe we could approach it this way. Basically, we, we, we convened, we went through a few artist-run centers in both Quebec City and in Montreal. Uh, we were able to get a bit of funding to... Uh, have some artists who already done AR work in books and in prints meet and talk about what they've done with uh, artists who are members of these production centers, places where they go to do their printing, their printing or their uh, uh, their production. For printed art, we were particularly interested to see what whether we can marry very traditional handmade, you know, hand printing methods, uh, printing with a, a, a lino cuts or hand uh, letterpress, uh, silk screen or risograph. Uh, very traditional printing and see if uh, whether that would react well with AR because actually with AR there's one challenge is the phone or the pad or the, the, the glasses they need to clearly make out the shape and uh, for it to work 
So in, in, in technically something like a photo or a digital print, you know, they want nice resolution. But what happens when you play with what's by nature fairly rough, you know? Uh, printed art can very, sometimes be very, um, you might only be able to make 20 or 30 prints from a master because you've made a, a very particularly comple complex shape. So uh, right off the bat, a lot of the artists were, when they saw that there was this potential frontier of what works and what, what doesn't with regards to print and AR, right away we kind of had a starting point where uh, the artists were, were looking, f looking forward to seeing uh, what, what can work. Some of the artists were a bit more on the you know, drawing and, and almost comic book style, so they were very interested in seeing what the animation type of material could come out of it. But for the most part, it was like we, you know, we made an effort to, to, to work with traditional print artists just to see how that would work. So what we did was over a few months, we had a, a, a few sessions, at first with the AR artists that had already done this stuff before. Then we, we did a solid uh, exercise where we all did one print together. We documented how we did it, and then we let people, mainly they all, they all unfortunately, all had to have access to Photoshop, which is not the case for every artist in the world, believe it or not. Uh, some of them actually would go to the center to use their Photoshop. So. Uh, we discovered that there was a fairly old version of Photoshop that was in use in, in, in one of the centers. So well, that was okay too, is we were able to adapt the uh, workflow and the instructions for how to make the AR art to a version that's maybe a bit more universal. Uh, and uh, the, the funnest part was the last uh, session where everybody came in with their actual work. We all uh, plugged it in together live. Plug it in means once you finally have done your work, you need to uh, have a, uh, an artist account with something like Art of Eve to be able to upload the content and to correlate it to the image of your uh, of your work. So uh, it was a lot of fun for everybody to, to do that and then everybody to pull up their phones and then see their you know the work in, in action for the first time. And so finally uh, it was all uh, launched this year during a festival that happened in April and uh, you guys launched uh, Printed Augmented, I think it was called, and how did that happen? Also, how people reacted to the project, to the art piece? It was very, very well uh, received, both by the artists who took part and a lot of their friends and other people who uh, wanted to see what this was about. Because as you were saying, uh, there's not been that much AR. Uh, everybody's curious about it, but there's, you know, uh, there's it's not that easy to find. So uh, we had a really good uh, result, and, and it was very interesting to see the range of, of uh, works. You know, everybody, we brought a lot of tablets, and then people were able to see all the different works that were created, and, uh, and, and everybody was excited to try to do something more. So we were very happy to be able to, to, to print and have many copies of this guide uh, that we sell now in the distributor machines for just two bucks. Uh, I have no idea how many people have read it and opened an account in Art of Eve and made something. But it's nice to think that, that at least you know they have been doing so. The thing that excited me the most was going back to the idea of the degradation of uh, inks and paper, and when you're making a printed art, and there's only so many prints you can make from one master. One of the artists really did a great job of. They wanted only 50 AR uh, prints uh, to, to to work. They didn't want any more than 50 ever, and so they succeeded in making a very a limited edition AR print. And by choosing an image that was already fairly degraded, they printed 50 a couple of times until they figured out how to print so that by the time of the 50th one, it starts to not work anymore. And literally, like I think the 51st, 52nd, 53rd ones they made, that's it. The resolution was too, too lost for Ardeviv to, to, to discover it. So basically, she numbered them from 1 to 50, and, and every one that, that ends up going through the Distrobodo machines is, is very unique. And there won't be any more after that, because uh, even though the Art of Eve content is going to sit there on the computers for whatever many years, it's uh, just 
I'm just very fascinated by the, the way that we could combine the uh, permanence of, of uh, so-called permanence of digital uh, art or platforms with uh, the uh, uh, the limited nature of, of uh, printed or physical art. As you mentioned, the result of uh, all this work is art pieces, print art pieces, but they have AR uh, implemented on them. It is now sold in the Distributo machines. Another thing also you guys created that I want you to, uh, to talk more about it is a guide about augmented reality and basically to teach people or artists that are interested in experimenting and that to teach them. And that guide is, guide is also sold in the Distributo machine. Before I came here, I went to Cheval Blanc, one of the venues that have your machines in them, and I, I bought one of the guides. So why did you uh, decide to do it? Well, they're very simple, and the idea was that, as I mentioned, during the uh, workshops in these artist centers, we were kind of all experimenting together, even us, as far as how do you teach this specifically. Because you, you don't want to give them, and you don't want to tell people exactly this is how it works, but you want it clear enough to, you know, to get their, uh, an example. So um, we took them, one of the examples that an artist uh, walked us through during one of the workshops, we decided to uh, print it out and see how it, you know, uh, we print it out in English and both in French too. And we included the actual example that was created during that specific workshop. That's it, we realized, Distrobodo, we also are always looking for more work and we'd love for artists to, to submit our AR books, AR zines, uh, AR prints for Distrobodo machines in the future. So why not? We're very good at making little small and inexpensive to produce uh, little booklets to sell in the distributor machines. So it's, it's again, it's a really just an introduction. It basically explains to you how you can make a small AR print using Photoshop and a camera. And, you know, you could probably do it in the, in the course of an afternoon. But uh, what we hope is that people use it as a starting point. And uh, so that's it. It's, it's, it's really quite basic. And uh, we figured why not, share the why, why not share the information and see if we can get more people to uh, do stuff. But we have to be careful. As soon as uh, if Artaviv stops working, then we're going to feel kind of bad and we'll have to you know, stop selling the guide uh, at that point. Uh, Archive Montreal, I want to mention this event, Archive Montreal, which is the organization, as we mentioned, that is behind Distributo and is behind these projects, they include AR. You guys are celebrating your 20th anniversary and you're having a fundraising uh, event at La Sala Rosa, which is December 5th on Thursday, which is the day we're going to be airing this interview. So people are listening to us is this evening, when you're listening is this evening. So can you talk uh, to us uh, about this event in particular? Will there be AR print there, AR pieces? Actually, we uh, hope to premiere the first AR poem that we know of in English from Montreal because um, uh, as part of our workshops, uh, a poet of, of, who's been a, a very important poet to performing in Montreal since the 1970s, Andre Farkas, he used to do experimental poetry in the late 70s and early 80s, video poetry, performance art mixed with poets. So um, we were excited to have him be part of our project, and so we actually expect to be to have at our merchandise table not just the little guides, but this new uh, AR poetry work uh, at the event. But it's at Sala Rosa at um, starting at 8 p.m. There's a bit of a big mix of different bands and music, English and French. There's a STM Getaway, Tony Ezzi, Emily Mushus, who does sound art, is a very uh, uh, popular in CKUT as well. And then we're happy to have some great bands, uh, experimental music, because we are always about ex pushing avant-garde and, and uh, material. So uh, a new side project from members of Godspeed, You Black Emperor, and This Quiet Army, 
called Some Became Hollow Tubes is going to play. And I'm very excited to see what that sounds like. And uh, Crab is the headlining band. It's a very uh, avant-garde art rock band. So, uh, and Salarosa is an important place for us as that was where we launched our second Distrobido. And, and uh, you know, is this kind of like still part of the family? So we're really excited to be able to, to do that. So finally, maybe if you can mention the links or website for people if they want to know more about Distrobido and know where to find the machines, but also if they want to do AR pieces and all that. The main website, arcmtl.org, arcmontreal.org. You can launch from there to straight to the Exposé and Distrobodo and, and, and other uh, projects that we have. But there's also distroboto.com. It's all O's, D-I-S-T-R-O-B-O-T-O. Com tells you where the machines are and, and uh, actually has some photos and galleries uh, and um, uh, info about the guide and, and such on there too. Thank you very much for talking to us about uh, this great initiative. My name is Sausan Kadura and you are listening to Digital Sites.